Alright, I think I got the idea here. Uh, let me just check the notes. Uh, make sure to pause between each line. The PA system echoes a lot. Okay, no problem. Okay. <clears throat> attention! 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 Ladies and gentlemen! Ladies and gentlemen! Ladies and gentlemen! Wow, that does echo quite a bit. Okay. Okay. The Dub Talk Podcast. Dub Talk Podcast. May contain language. May contain language. Not suitable. Not suitable for younger audiences. Younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there's always the possibility. Always the possibility. Always the possibility that spoilers could occur. Spoilers could occur for any and all series. All series. All being discussed. Being discussed. Being discussed. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be if something guard. we're talking something about, we're talking about something you haven't finished. Something you haven't finished. the middle of the Swiss Alps. Middle of the Swiss Alps. And finally, and finally, and finally, the opinions expressed, opinions expressed, are those of the individual participants, and do not reflect Dub Talk as a whole. Talk as a whole. Talk as a whole. And now, without further ado, we present. The what if only what if Lou over the wall over the wall over the wall and welcome to a brand new episode of Dub Talk, a show where a bunch of nerds get together and talk about a recent dub or dub announcement. And today's a little bit of a special occasion. We are actually doing another summer at the movies OVA. Yay! And, and this one's actually kind of a special one in a similar vein to Shin Godzilla last year, which I also hosted. The movie that we have selected for our Summer at the Movie Season 2 OVA is none other than Lou Over the Wall. Woohoo! And the reason we're doing this as an OVA and not, you know, doing the episode during Season 2 or planning it for the future is... I had a very specific crew in mind for this one. So, first and foremost, I would like to introduce Noah. I, okay, I was going to go into a dance and song number here, but you can't see that right now, so just imagine that I'm doing amazing dancing in front of the microphone. Oh, he's totally doing it. It's going to be a very musical episode. And breaking off from the tradition of our Summer at the Movies episode, we have more than one contributor to a host. And number two is none other than Amon. Hello, friends. I'd make a Gidget joke here, but I've never actually seen Gidget, so I can't do that. But I'm sure you can look her up on the internet and put it together yourself. And last but not least, uh, we actually have a very special guest with us. This is his second time in a Dub Talk episode. We would like to welcome Mr. Itchy. Hey, thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, this it's is Itchinator here. If you remember, I was all the way back in the Oran High School Host Club Dub Talk session. That was many moons ago, and I'm happy to be back. We're happy to have you here. Mm-hmm. So there's actually a very good story to why this particular crew was gathered for this particular movie. Let's roll back the clock to about a year and a half ago, August of 2017. Uh, we four gentlemen went to uh, Dallas, Texas for Anime Fest, where we happened to catch a screening of this film, 
not not just a screening, but I believe it was actually the North American premiere, wasn't it? Uh, it wasn't North American, but I want to say it was U.S. Okay. And not only were we able to catch a screening of the film, we got to uh, got to do some Q and A with the director and the producer Masaki Yuasa and Ayan Choi, where uh, Noah kind of <laughs> accidentally <laughs> called Look. this movie by a different Look. title. Yeah. Look, nobody can blame me for... And I, you were the only guys who caught it, too, so I was very grateful that no one else caught it. But for some reason, the movie is called Lou Over the Wall. I had Cartoon Network on the brain, and I called it throughout the entire weekend Lou Over the Garden Wall. You've I mean, made a grave error, my friend. <laughs> to be fair, both of them really kind of pioneered their field of animation. So, you know... No, 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 no. Please throw me under the bus. No, no, no. Better yet, throw me on a pile with a fish and toss a bucket of ice on top of me. Well, you know, must be the processing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I would compare Lou Over the Wall to, like, the, uh, like, a 60s beach comedy. Sort of in the vein of, like, Gidget or, you know... Oh god, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. But wasn't you, there you a, know the one? Wasn't there a the uh, the new Mystery Science Theater three thousand reboot? Wasn't the first movie they covered a beach movie that had Lionel Richie in it? Are you are you thinking of Catalina Caper from the old one that has Little Richard in it? Oh, is that which one it was? I, I yeah, I, I remember one of the movies was on MST three K, but I can't remember which version of it it was. I believe you're, I believe you're thinking of Catalina Caper. Probably, probably because yeah, these guys. In our discussion before we started recording, we're like, this is like a 60s beach movie, which uh, is going to be a bit of a blind spot for me personally, because I have seen a grand total of zero beach movies. However, I have seen a great amount of 60s animation, which uh, in looking back on interviews that the director gave, he uh, cited quite a bit of early uh, like uh, Toei animation, like a lot of that loose Miyazaki television, Miyazaki and Takahata stuff like Go Panda Go and what was the other one? And um, Rainy Day Circus, like a lot of that old school stuff that he grew up with. He wanted to replicate that into a movie for a modern audience. Hmm. Like I also got like Fleischer Syndicate vibes from the animation too. Certainly. Mm. I mean, that was an influence on early 60s uh, Japanese animation, so, you know, it all ties together. There's a direct lineage there. But what is this movie even about, Roots? I'm glad you asked. Uh, I happen to have the uh, Blu-ray case right here. Cheat! That's a cheat! (laughs) No! No! You have to grab it strict for your own memory. You're not allowed to read anything. I say as I'm reading off of the script that's right in front of me. (laughs) Because we all have scripts. What's my next we line? We are a professional podcast. Wait, what's my line? That's ridiculous, Roots. We never script our... dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, plot description coming directly from G-Kids. Uh, from the visionary mind of Masaki Yuasa comes a joyous twist on the classic fairy tale about a little mermaid who comes ashore to join a middle school rock band and propel them to fame. 
Oh, yeah. After his family moves from Tokyo to a small fishing village, teenager Kai spends his days sulking and adrift. When his friends invite him to play keyboard in their band, their jam sessions bring in unexpected guests, Lou, a young mermaid whose fins turn to feet when she hears the beats, and whose singing causes humans to compulsively dance. But when an ancient prophecy threatens Lou in the village, Kai and his new friends must save the day in this toe-tapping adventure for the entire family. Alright, so I believe now is about the time where we should get into the dub. Um, we have two directors and two scriptwriters as per the end credits of the film. They're not necessarily credited on IMDb yet, but I use the, uh, the end credits of the film as the basis for the list of characters and actors that we will be using tonight. Uh, so for directors... We have uh, Michael Sinter Nicholas and Stephanie Shea at NYAD Post. Uh, you would know their work, uh, Michael Sinter Nicholas in particular, from 009 Re Cyborg and My Mind Miracle. Uh, Stephanie Shea from A Silent Voice and a personal favorite of mine, Anaplex. Get this back out on Blu ray or at least streaming Paradise Kiss. Really? <sighs> She's been, like, like, she actually direct slash wrote that she was credited as the director for paradise kiss and i believe also no scriptwriter. holy but. cow and uh collectively you would know the both of them directing the the same project for uh your name and fully coolly seasons two and three now, for script writing, uh, Stephanie Shea is pulling double duty, but she is also joined by Amanda C. Miller. Uh, Stephanie Shea's script writing, you would know from aforementioned Paradise Kiss, as well as Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn and Fully Coolie 2 and 3. Uh, and Amanda Miller <clears throat> doesn't have a lot of writing roles in terms of anime, but you would, you would generally know her scripts from the Netflix series Last Hope. Uh, so I'm going to start things off with Noah. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about the direction and script writing? Boy, what even is this movie? Lou Over the Wall is, um, it's an all-over-the-place kind of story that is an exceptionally Japanese feel in the Japanese. And by that I mean Japanese cinema has um, some tendencies about a lot of dialogue. Like, there, there's a whole lot of dialogue of explaining things, and, and this is mostly in, like, live-action stuff. So... That does translate quite a bit into the dub for this, because there's a lot of scenes where the characters are expositing dialogue about what happened to the lead character's mom, or where, why are we having trouble with um, the fish, or what's the big deal about the merfolk to begin with? Just lots of dialogue going back and forth. So to get that translated into English, which um, Stephanie and Michael kind of pride themselves on being able to translate stuff from Japanese to English, and even get praise from the creators, as they've gotten in the past, their direction for this was to go very classic flavor anime dubbing. And by that I mean the direction on it is very straightforward. There's not a whole lot of localisms. There's very little uh, accents or dialects in the characters. They all have a very standard anime sound to them, which is good because with all the dialogue going on, all the expositing, all of the discussions, and the, the, the kind of non-stop dialogue, you needed to get that right. You needed it written well, and you needed to get it directed well, which they did. There's a distinct difference between the tired characters who are kind of like worn down because they're, you know, they live in a 
tired, sleepy uh, fishing village, and the livelier, younger characters who are just like peppy and upbeat and don't really let the tiredness of the town keep them down. So I get praise for that because they understand the movie. Like Mike and uh, Stephanie really understand the different characters. And it also captures the range of, um, of uh, how people are coping with the sleepy village as well. Like, you know, there's people who are dealing with it by trying to break out. And there are people who are just like condemn themselves to living in this forever. The only complaint I'm going to have just slight criticism is that this is a very classic anime flavor sound like you could probably hear some of these voice actors and recognize them from other movies or shows they've done maybe not even anime but just anything that nyv post has done for foreign cartoons and i feel like with this kind of movie with this very um this very wild very 60s beach movie kind of movie that they could have gone for a bit more of a distinct sound to it it's it's almost like you've had classic coke which is great, but you're kind of craving cherry coke, if you know what I mean. It's the, like, I feel like there could have been like a distinct flavor to the way that these characters were directed to make it more cartoonish almost, but it, it is perfectly adequate in adapting the, the Japanese into the English. So it, it's, if you're just looking for like, do I watch it in Japanese, do I watch it in English, you can listen to both. They are both equally good at conveying what is in the story. Amon? Uh, yeah, I, I thought this was a very strong dub. I thought, uh, how do I put this? I, I, I agree with a lot of Noah's sentiment. I feel like this was a this very this very like it was good. It was well done. It never like it 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 you know it didn't try and fiddle with the dialogue or anything too much. It felt uh, appropriately straightforward. I guess like I um I'm sure part of this is because we saw it as a double feature with the Night of Short Walk On Girl, <laughs> which is a significantly yeah. like denser movie on basic on maybe not actually even visually it might it might have a little bit of a leg on this just because of how much ground it covers um but this felt a lot more straightforward in the sense that this this is much more of a movie which is like this is science saru showing off what they can do this yeah. is their big this is their big flashy first movie to show that you know yeah no we are hot shit <laughs> and, in a, and, in, and in a year, we're going to release a show on Netflix, and you're going to be like, shit, did we get the anime of the year in January? I don't know, guys. Maybe we did. <laughs> so, and I, but I think as a, a side effect of that is, like, in terms of, like, plot direction, this is a little more uh, straightforward. And I think the dub does kind of reflect that a little bit. It's more, like, I, 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 I you, you could get cartoonier with this. Um, but I think, I think the... What they the decisions they chose as far as how do it I thought worked very well. I thought especially for the uh, some of the dramatic moments, I thought like it gave it a grounding that I think helped sell those. Even when you have you know mermaids and shark dads running around <laughs> catching fire and things like that. Uh, but I, I like I I enjoyed it. I thought it was very well crafted and very very appropriate for what I think the uh, movie needed in that regard. As far as like. Um, letting the story be told in that way and not getting overshadowed by the crazy visuals that are offering often accompanying it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay. Uh, Itchy? Well, to start off, um, when we all saw Lou back at Anime Fest, I actually did not see uh, Night Ashore Walk on Girl with the rest of the guys. So I kind of have like my own bias as i like this movie a lot better than uh short on short on girl walk on and uh <laughs> like i saw i saw the, it the theaters short walk on I, night yeah 
I saw the movie in theaters. I didn't like. I I didn't like connect to it like a lot of people did, and I just like Lou a lot better. And to that degree, I kind of like expected more from this dub to just be like a lot more bombastic, especially when it does get to those animated sequences that are just so trippy and so psychedelic. Um, sometimes I feel like this dub is a little too, like, banal, which is, it's just fine. It doesn't make it bad or unlistenable. It's just something that kind of just irks me a little when I watch it. Now, a lot of the, uh, like, the really crazy psychedelic moments were, like, the ones I'm thinking of were mostly dialogue-less, weren't they? The, like, the scenes in Underwater... And also, like, the Fleischer scenes where they're, like, dancing on the beach... That's true, but that that was mostly just music, wasn't it? It was, and they're all like reacting to Lou and seeing her for the first time, right? And it it just feels kind of just just uh, just kind of boring, not really like memorable. The dub to me, I guess I could say that's just how I feel about it most of the time when I try to like remember key figures from the roles, and there's only like a handful I could remember because they actually do like. A unique thing with the role, but we'll talk about it later when we're talking about characters. Yeah. Okay. One thing in particular I did want to bring up is um, there is a little bit of dub singing in this. Well, a lot of dub like, singing. Like two of the songs. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's. Uh, There's a concert scene where we're it, hearing Yuho. Yeah. It's basically when any character is singing, that's they are dubbing for the whole song, except for the last one, wasn't it? Like, did they? Did they? Like, did they? The dub last one, singing? and if there the, was like, there was like the intro with the instrumentals where he's making the YouTube video. Right, right. The the part that's playing over the the opening credits, basically. Yeah. Yeah, but okay. So three. And there's also like the um when um. Kai's father, he had his own band in the in the movie. They basically had him, uh, ma- recorded him for, like, the whole song, but could only use partials of it for, like, the movie. Right, right. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you, like, Rutsu, you were, like, trying to remember, like, what parts did they dub and which parts did they keep in Japanese? Like, maybe that's just a side effect of us having watched a lot of stuff in both English and Japanese that it doesn't stand out to us anymore. Yeah. But I like I am impressed that they kind of did that in the in the context of the movie itself because like the song that in particular the song that uh, Kai sings at the end is played several times throughout the film in Japanese. Mm-hmm. So I I really like that they kind of kept the dubbing of the songs in, into a sort of contextually where it fits scenario. So that you got a little bit of both, which, like, I I really like hearing, especially the the ending theme song that gets repeated throughout the movie. Like, I like getting that a couple of times, and then having Kai Zacker, who we'll get at later at the later in the episode, like actually singing it. Like, I thought that was really cool. Like, there were. I actually do kind of like the script writing because like a lot of a lot of the in particular the minor characters get like little lines that give them moments to shine and it's 
Like, it's, it's wonderful. Like, uh, direction-wise, everybody sounded the way they needed to sound. Um, casting was actually kind of impressive because of somebody we'll be talking about toward the end of the episode. <laughs> and, um, yeah, this... I think that this dub was pretty solidly constructed from the base, and like, kudos. Would you say that it's as solid as a wall? (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna keep a running tally here. Bad Noah puns for the night. We're already at five. I think think we need to get over this wall. (laughs) On the tomatoes! Maybe we should talk about some of those bit characters that you were alluding to, Roots. Okay, so first and foremost, we have, um, he's not really named, but he's basically the chief priest of the shrine who explains the legend of the mermaid, and, um, he's going I think bald. it's implied that he is, uh, he's either Kunio's father or grandfather? Mm. I would hope grandfather. But it could, it could, I mean, he's, the, the note they make is that he, he picks on Cuneo about losing all of his hair, which just terrifies yeah, and then poor they, Cuneo. and then there's a joke about it being genetic, so. Yeah, that's kind of, um, I don't know if you know how genetics work, but you kind of have to be related for someone to inherit their genetics. And, uh, we also have, uh, Granny Octopus, who is an old woman who hangs by the pier looking for the merfolk. And uh, she wants revenge because they took her beloved away from her. And as it turns out, there was somewhat good reason they had to do that. But, you know, saving someone from dying by turning them into a mermaid by biting them. Which, by the way, is a thing. Yeah. I should have mentioned that. Oh, didn't we mention that? Yes, it turns out that all those merfolk that you've met in real life... They, they were real people, but they just got bit by a merfolk. You know, they're like vampires now. They're vamp-per-aids. I mean, down to the sunlight weakness, too. Yes, so uh, th- that explains everything. The Little Mermaid, vampire. There we go. Uh, My Bride is a Mermaid, vampire. And uh, last in the sequence is uh, Isaki. She... Went to Tokyo to try and become a model. It didn't really work out for her. So she came back to this little fishing village and basically makes announcements on the local PA system. It sounds like that happens a lot in this village. (laughs) The PA system that echoes like a mother trucker. Uh, So the chief priest of the village is played by Derek Stephen Prince. You would know him from characters such as Uryu Ishida in Bleach, Koji in Time of Eve, and Kenichi Joji, a.k.a. the Digimon Emperor, in the original Digimon Adventure 02 series. Uh, Granny Octopus is played by Barbara Goodson. Uh, You would know her as the voice of Rita Repulsa in Power Rangers. Yep. Uh, She is uh, Nandaba... Nandaba Naoto or Nauta in Fully Cooley. And fun fact, she was the first English voice actor to play the role of Goku mm-hmm. in Dragon Ball. Rest in peace, Harmony Gold. 
Isaki is played by Allison Lee Rosenfeld. Uh, she has played characters such as uh, Frau Bo in Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin. Uh, she was Bonnie and the Nurse Joy in Pokemon XY. And she is Hazuki Kato in Liz and the Bluebird. Uh, so Noah, why don't you start us off? So I'm glad that you picked these three characters to talk about. Because um, this movie, for a lot of the good stuff it has, I have a hard time getting over the number of plots that it has. And it's not like there's a couple of subplots going on simultaneously with each other. It's like, no, there's like a plot that goes on and then we drop it and we move on to another plot and we drop that and move on <laughs> and so on and so forth. So these three characters all kind of represent different plots that are going on in the story. And to give full credit for the for the voice acting, um, they're all really good. Um, I want to start with Allison first, actually, because she's got this very mature, sing-song-like speaking pattern to the way that she speaks. And I don't think I've actually heard her in uh, a dub before. It sounds like she does a lot of, um, like, um, union stuff over in LA and I, I'm not a Pokemon XY aficionado at all so I wouldn't have never heard her in that but uh, yeah she's really good in this as the obviously someone who has been to the big city has tried to fit in there like tried to scrub away any of those like localisms that they tell you to get rid of when you go to a metropolitan town so and her subplot is kind of tied into what do I want to be when I grow up? Because if you have a Japanese anime featuring middle school characters, you can guarantee a subplot is going to be, what do I want to be when I grow up? And she kind of exemplifies that even if you think you know what you want to do when you grow up, it doesn't always work out for you. But sometimes you just got to roll with it, which is not a bad lesson to have. That's a very good lesson. And I kind of wish it taken up more of the story instead of getting squashed into about maybe two or three scenes. But for those bit parts she had, she did a really good job. Derek uh, Stephen Prince's uh, um, very soft and careworn kind of voice. Um, he's obviously trying to evoke an older, wiser uh, sense of a character. The only downside to that is, and I could be wrong, I'm, I'm going to look it up while I'm talking, but he doesn't sound naturally old. Like, there, there's a sense of age that you get from actually being old, which is very hard to duplicate convincingly. And he tries. He's really trying to give out a sense of age. but So, you know, he's not as old as some of the older characters. And so that softerness makes it it makes him sound younger, I suppose. But that's more of a matter of just if you're used to old uh, actors or just old people in general, then you know what they sound like. And this is, like, you know, not quite there. But acting-wise, it's pretty good. Barbara Goodson, though, her granny octopus is the character I wish had been in the movie more because... I gotta give it up to crazy old women who can kick ass in movies because that is what you see her riding on the water, heading straight towards the mer people with with spear in hand, ready to strike them down with the look of death in their face. Like you thought, uh, Granny Juichi from Summer Wars is badass. You ain't seen nothing till you seen Granny Octopus, and Barbara's like she has got genuine old lady voice in her. Like that is convincingly. Do not mess with this woman at the senior center. She will cut you for taking her bingo seat. And that is exactly what we needed in this movie for tough old lady. And that is exactly what we got. I'm just glad that we finally get to talk about her. Because I have not... I don't think I've been in an episode where we talked about Barbara Goodson. I've been a fan of her since she was in an old computer game I used to play back in the 90s. So I am so glad she's still around doing voice work. Nice. Uh, Amon? Uh, <clears throat> who do I start with? Uh, I'll start. I'll start with the priest. Um, 
We don't have too much to say about it, just because, like, he, I think as we mentioned, he mostly kind of explains things going on. He's very, like, you know, calm and helpful and charming. Uh, but I enjoyed him, if for no other reason than just that I like Steven Derrick Prince. Uh, he was in Digimon, which was, like, the first anime I really cared about, basically. Um, and it's it's nice to hear him in things. I don't watch a lot of stuff dubbed in L.A., so when, when I do and he shows up, it always makes me happy. He's just, he's got a very reassuring voice. Uh, I think I think he didn't maybe sound as old as he could have, but I think totally he fit what this character was going for very well. Um, let's see what else. I also, I also really enjoyed Allison as Isaki. I thought she uh, she had a good announcer voice, which I guess is maybe a, a dumb thing to say, but I thought like it just it made sense for the character. She went to Tokyo and it didn't pan out, so she came back home and got a good job. She's good at, it, and she's doing doing her living her dream. She's got to make that bed breakfast work. <laughs> It's gonna be great. Uh, I do. I do actually. I do want to praise that. I. I think they did a fun trick where, as they established, like it's difficult to use the PA system with all the echo on it. And I thought they, did, with her performance, I thought they did a good job of showing how she does it, where it sounds very fluid and natural. In comparison to later, towards the end of the movie, you hear other characters using it. It's a lot more like, you know, say a little bit wait for the echo to fade, say a little bit. Like, I, I thought they did do a good job of illustrating how she has figured out how to work the system in a way that, like, people using it for the first time are still kind of having to struggle with it. I thought that was a nice touch. She, she is so good at using it that she can use it over the phone. Exactly. Like, like the audio quality act still comes through. Like, just put, I'm on a phone, put the phone next to the PA system, and I'll speak into it, and it still comes through fluently. Yeah, like, I just, I thought that was just a nice touch that... <laughs> You know, I think I think a, a lazier dub may have not bothered with, but I appreciated the way it was presented here. Um, and what 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 can I say about Barbara Goodson that hasn't already been said? She's Barbara Goodson. All the good things. She's 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 great. She was in Persona Five, and I didn't realize until like after seeing her character a bunch of times, like, wait, why is this why is this person down familiar? It's Barbara Goodson. Where do I know that? Oh, it's Rita Repulsa. There we go. <laughs> Like, li like, literally the first TV show I can remember watching regularly. Okay. That's not... Yeah, she she's delightful here. She's the exact angry old lady that Granny Octopus needed. Uh, I just... I just... Her just, like, yelling at people all the time. It's just great. She's just so furious. <laughs> and this is an old person who's been spending the last, like, five or six decades waiting for a mythical creature <laughs> to show if she, she can murder it with a harpoon. But yeah, no, she she was she was delightful in it. I have I, I have I'm I'm not gonna try and not sing the praises of Barbara Goodson. She knows what she's doing. So you're saying um, that she should have been the whole movie, right? If they if they wanna have a if they wanna have a Granny Octopus spin-off where we find out what she and her boyfriend are doing now that they're mermaids, <laughs> I will not I will not say no. I will watch that movie. I, uh, yeah, I'm fine so... with that. But yeah, no, I, I I I enjoyed I enjoyed these performances. I thought they were they were like very well done for even if they were for characters who are very generally not in the focus of the story going on. Okay, um, Itchy. Okay, so for Derek, I guess like the main thing is my my main issue with this dub is like it's very banal and it's it's not as memorable as I thought it would be. And that's kind of like what I feel like with minor characters like Derek's, the chief priestess, the priest who's like, who's just like giving advice to like the characters and just like expositing dialogue and everything like that. And it's just, it's not very memorable, I guess. It's, it's not that, it's not that it's bad. It's just that 
I couldn't like care about his character. Like, and again, that's like he's a minor character. He doesn't get a lot of room to be a part of the story. And that's also the problem with this movie a lot is that it's just it's all these different plot points coming together and un with unto like this grand finale, which is great, but it's it's not servicing characters like Derek's, and he doesn't really get a lot of room to like do much. And then for Allison, um, she's she's good. Like I could definitely get the the sense that she's like an older woman who's got her ideals ahead of her. Like she knows what she wants to do in life. She's been out in the world and she's come back, and she's got her own place. She wants to get like a bed and breakfast going on. You're like, oh, that's so nice. And then for Barbara Goodson, like, do I need to say anything else? She's like a national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, the more I could say about her performance is like at the end of the movie when she finally gets reunited with like her long lost love, who she's like been antagonistic towards like the mermaids her whole her whole adult life. And then she sees her husband, and she's like, she got gives off this great like sigh of relief as her husband bites her and brings him, her down with her, and then she suddenly like, wait a minute, I'm a mermaid! Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in terms like, of, like, good, yeah, good uh, bit characters having, like, good one-liners, I think that's, like, my personal favorite. That's, like, such a good, like, character moment for her right at the end, to just punch you up. Oh, that's Granny Octopus. See you <laughs> later. Hope to see you in the sequel. <laughs> That's pretty much all I have to say about them. Um, Derek Stephen Prince as the nameless chief priest. Like, I... While I can kind of understand the... He didn't quite sound genuine old, I definitely like the voice that he gave to the character. And I like how he sort of, like, messes with Kunio at various opportunities like the whole going bald thing I, I really like that scene and Derek Stephen Prince like gave the gave this priest a very casual sense of humor that I, I could appreciate and uh Allison Lee Rosenfeld as uh Isaki. I can definitely see her uh like she definitely has an air of confidence to her and I can I appreciate that in the performance. It, um, and like I'm almost saying, I like the little things, like she's the only person who knows how to finesse the PA system to get it to, to get her voice to project correctly. There are a lot of little things to this dub that, that I appreciate. And, um, like she also gives a lot of, um, she gives advice to Yuho toward the end of the film about pursuing her dreams. And that was a really nice scene. So, while she doesn't get a big role in the film, and none of these characters really do, and it's kind of a shame, um, I definitely do like the, the dub performances, but, uh, Barbara Goodson as Granny Octopus, so good. <laughs> so good. She plays the angry old crackpot so well, and then at, at her very last scene, when she's bitten and becomes a mermaid, it is probably one of my single favorite individual lines in the film. Holy mackerel, I'm a mermaid. <laughs> like, she snuck in a fish pun there. I can't even be mad. 
That is a good use of adaptive script writing. Because I don't remember that being in the original Japanese. Like, any any pun play you can sneak into a dub. Like, I'm, I'm there for that. While the rules they were given weren't particularly big, uh, they took what they had and gave their best. And I can definitely appreciate these these three. So, good job. Thumbs up. And I believe it is time to move on to our next group. Uh, basically, the dad squad. Uh, here we are talking about Kai's father, who uh, in his youth went to Tokyo, met the woman who would become his wife. Or, wait, I think they were actually both from the, the village, and they, they left together. And because, Yeah, because one of the... There's a character who knew both of them when they were younger, and he's, like, explaining right. to the class on career day. And I gotta say, one thing I really appreciate this with this film is they actually kind of like they don't treat divorce as a like oh mom and dad are both fighting kind of thing it was just say hey like we were in love with each other and you know things didn't quite work out the way we wanted them to and we went our separate ways and like in particular with the dad where he's just like yeah explaining all that and then he's just like but I'm still rooting for her like, I I really appreciate that little sense of genuineness, but we'll get more on to that here in a bit. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, Kai's grandfather, who, uh, who witnessed his mother get bitten by a mermaid. And uh, she's thrown back onto his boat, and since it's the middle of the day, she lights on fire and has to jump back into the water. And that ended up traumatizing him to the point where he could no longer go into the water. So he basically rents his boat out and makes umbrellas for a living. And he is completely adamant about Kai never stepping foot near the water. Which, guess what he does, and guess what he meets. And uh, we also have uh, Lou's father, who shows up for a little bit of the movie. And he helps a bunch of fishermen figure out a new means of processing where the fish come out super fresh and also, like, the bones are still alive. <laughs> yeah, Lou gets captured toward the end of the film and he turns into a giant berserker great white shark and it's one of the most badass things I've ever seen. Daddy shark Daddy shark If I have to suffer through that All of you will suffer That is my daughter Ruby's favorite song She goes up to me and going Daddy And she's only two Now all of you will deal with this You're welcome My heart So Kai's father is played by Ezra Wise Uh there's not really a lot of like char- name characters to his credit. He's mainly a uh, a scriptwriter director from the looks of things, but he played uh, Zenjiro in Miss Hokusai. Uh, Kai's grandfather is played by Steve Kramer. You would know him as the third Hokage in Naruto. Uh, Kane Barzard in Seven Deadly Sins, and he was Wise Man in Sailor Moon R and. Uh, he also reprised the role in Crystal. Now, Lou's father is played by Michael S. M. Bailey. 
Uh, you would know him as Zod in Berserk, Berserk. the original 99 series and the Golden Age movies. Uh, he was also Crocodile in the 4Kids dub of One Piece. Saberoa Zinnerman in Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn. Uh, so, Amon, why don't you start us off? All right. Let me see. Um, hmm. Start with Kai's dad. Let me, <clears throat> let me get my, my cast list here so I know who I'm actually talking about. Uh, of course, he's not on here. Who played this, who plays this character again? It's Izuro Weiss. No, I, I, uh, he, he, Kai's father is another one of the characters who's, I, he, I mean, he's, he's a little more plot relevant, but he doesn't, yeah, you know, like he doesn't do much other than like, uh, tell uh, Kai to get his grades up and go to a good school, <laughs> and kind, and kind of be a like well-meaning scold for a lot of the movie until towards the end, where it's like, no, you should do what makes you happy. Don't be miserable. <laughs> don't be miserable like me. Don't be, don't be miserable. Be, be happier. Um. But I, 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 he, he sounded, uh, he did, he, he got it, he got it, well, nice, how do I put this? I, I, I thought he did well in that regard. He sounded very, you know, uh, stern for a lot of it. And then when he softens up, I thought he did that. I will, I will note, however, that it took me a little bit to remember that he's supposed to be Kai's dad. I actually thought is like, yeah. is he Kai's dad or is he Kai's older brother? I can't remember. Yeah. And a, and a lot of that's just the character design. Like he doesn't look old enough to have a like teenage son. No, he doesn't. Um, but uh, part of it's also like I mean, part of it's also like I think Ezra plays a voice that does match that character design. It's just that character design could be a guy. It could be a guy in his like mid to late thirties, but it could also be a guy in like his mid twenties. Um, but like, I, 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 I thought he like he performed well in the role. Uh, I don't like I don't. I'm not going to blame him for the character design. Obviously, that was not a not a decision making process. He had a lot of say in. Um, Ezra only signs up for roles where he looks much, much younger than he actually is. It's in his contract. Apparently so. Um, what else? Uh, I also, I also enjoyed um, Steve as the grandfather. Um, he was just, he was, he was nicely like, like kind of crotchety, but not like overtly. I thought there was actually some nice like subtlety to his performance, as far as like being very, very insistent on this point that he doesn't want to talk about. Um, but also, like, still feeling very, like, you, you can tell, like, this is coming from a place of, like, I, like, I am worried about them, even though I'm not gonna talk about it. Also, I just, I thought, I like, I like that character's emotional arc, uh, particularly, and the, obviously this isn't part of the voice acting, when he's kind of starting to put together what happened to his mom, because he clearly didn't figure that out, but he's like, hmm, mermaids catch fire when they're in sunlight. My mom caught fire when she was in sunlight. <laughs> And just and these like clearly like half forgotten memories of something bringing his ukulele back from the ocean when he was like ten. You can um, see the the gerbil wheel in his head. Just yeah, exactly. Along. Pretty much. Um, and it's I think it's almost a shame that so many of those moments for that character are usually like they're not voice. They're just stuff he's like internally thinking about because I don't, you know uh, you know Steve doesn't really get to interact with that. But I, I liked his I liked his performance. He was very he was a good kind of like calm but stern uh like grandfather figure um but now we get to my favorite character from this movie the opposite of calm yeah exactly lou i love lou's dad i like i i, I like i like michael's performance a lot i almost kind of wish like lou's father had more in the way of like lines per se 
Um, just because like lines, he right? He doesn't like he doesn't. You know, he just. I mean, he just he does like the. Um, you know, he does that thing when you hire Frank Welker to play like an alien film. Like he makes, he makes, he, and he make he makes good like shark dad noises, but they're not like dialogue per se. Damn it, Amon, you stole my line. Sorry, I was actively going to reference Frank Welker in my well, part of that. It, well, you should you should have insisted on going first. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be fair, we could also name like Mike Patton or. <laughs> I feel like Mike Patton would be a much scarier Lou's dad. <laughs> um, but no, like I, I love Lou's dad just because he's a giant shark dude in a suit and he just sort of roams, <laughs> roams around getting shit done and people are like, ah, must be the processing. <laughs> are these like, fish, are these, are like, these really fish supposed to keep swimming around after you eat them? Um, but yeah, like, like, like he all, like, obviously he's mostly just kind of making noises, but like, he, 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 he was a good accent to the, to the visual performance of the character, which I feel like is kind of what you need in a role like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed him a lot, and, um, he makes good yelling noises when he's, like, running over to protect Lou. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. It was good. <laughs> Alright, um, Noah? Yeah, I, I hate you, Amon, so much. You stole my, you stole my exact <laughs> reference I was going to go with, because... Okay, um, I, I made this connection before I had actually listened to the director's um, interview, but um, Lou's father uh, is very heavily based on... You would think Totoro, right? You would think he actually looks and smiles like Totoro from My Neighbor Totoro, but before that, actually, before Miyazaki made that, he and Takahata made a TV show called Go Panda Go, who had the exact same smile face that Totoro is known for and that is the image that uh, Yuasa was actually referencing when he designed Lou's father this way so of course I was thinking of to- I was thinking of Totoro's English voice actor Frank Welker and I'm thinking hmm this Michael guy is a this might give Frank Welker a run for his money because in that movie Frank Welker just growls his lines in this very rumbly voice and that's exactly what Michael does in this he growls the lines they're not even lines, they're just sound effects with a couple of slightly understandable lines in there. He's basically the Hulk, is the way that he speaks. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I love the part where he smashes Loki at the end of the movie. He, like, it's an absolutely great voice acting performance. No, he didn't. So, yeah, for what Michael was uh, told to do, like, I'm actually kind of surprised that they chose to redub this in English because you could have just kept the sound effects from the Japanese voice actor and probably wouldn't have lost too much but it really does show the the dedication to getting an accurate english translation that stephanie and michael thought it necessary to cast a an english voice actor who could do the same thing and for that great job michael uh going on to um to Izra's uh teru uh yeah he sounds too young he not just looks too young but he sounds too young to be a dad and you know this is coming from a guy who actually is a dad and continuously gets asked by people is that your kid or your brother like i get that mentality (laughs) i get that but for this movie here the character design and the sound just was like a little too young but i guess we're supposed to get from this that um uh, kai's father and mother got together when they're kind of on the younger side like maybe like early very early 20s um so i just kind of like get through that mental roadblock and like you were saying roots i do appreciate the fact that their characterization of divorced parents is not one of continuous bickering but of mutually beneficial separation even if there's you know some hardships afterwards like sometimes 
that's just how divorce works out, and it's nice to see that represented. But for the actual acting portion of it, Izara does uh, actually a very good job. He's got a very worn down voice when he's like trying to teach his son that you're supposed to get good grades so you can lead a successful life. But then we see a bit more of his personality when he's kind of flustered about the fact that his son found his old cassette tapes and is listening to his old band singing. And that was also something that kind of touched me in the, if my kids ever find my old work, like, I don't know, this podcast when they get older, I probably get a little flustered myself. So Isra's performance on that, absolutely what the character needed for what was written. Now, Steve, his uh, his grandfather is very interesting because the grandfather is the only character who doesn't get, to my knowledge, any comedic moments. His entire portrayal is entirely serious because he's not only worn down by the memory of what happened when he was young and continuously trying to keep himself busy to forget about it, but it's also the quietest, most straightforward parts of the entire movie that we get and Steve sells that very well he's got this gruff monosyllabic moody voice to it that gives a sensation that he's pretty much dead to the world but it's not boring like it's not mediocre it's like it's a very believable old man down on the world voice like if you've ever been you know end of the work week dead to the world just let me veg with my enormous backlog of Netflix shows to watch that's the sense that you get out of this performance, and it's exactly what this role needed for this part of the story, which, again, is, like, one of ten stories going on. Okay, um, Itchy? So for Ezra, and I'm thinking about Kai's father, uh, there's not really much I can think about for his character, except for, like, the one moment where he's at work, and it's right after his son figures out about his band, and then he's thinking about it and gets like flustered all of a sudden that's like such a good moment to just like encapsulate for his character so besides that it's not just like a role that i can like think of that just that's that just flies off the handle or like is that memorable for me it's just something that it's like a a cute little moment for him that that just uh, shows like the acting range of him just to get that across and then for Steve Kramer, who plays the grandfather, um, he did a pretty good role throughout this whole movie. He's playing like the father, the grandfather who's like got a chip on his shoulder about losing his mother. And he's so embittered throughout the whole movie about that. He doesn't want his son to ever go near the, the water or go near the mermaids. And then when he finally realizes everything, he comes around to like the end and is like the 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 great shield for all of the mermaids with his umbrellas. And it's such like a a winning moment for him to just come That's to this such realization. A good scene where yeah, every it, where all the fishermen just come out with umbrellas. It it gets me to tears like every time I watch it, whether it's sub or dub. Then lastly for David, who plays Big Daddy Shark Man. <laughs> Ooh, he's like the best part of this movie for me, besides <laughs> his daughter Lou, which I like a lot more. But we'll get to that. Uh, but for the father, uh, he, obviously he doesn't have any lines in it, so it's not like a much much more of a performance. It's just more like grunts and snarls and stuff. But it it definitely gets across well in the scenes that he's in, and I guess it's just, it it does remind me a lot of like his speaking roles where he's playing like Zod and Berserk. 
and it's that very that low that low grovelly sound that he just he really does really well to sell like this big like girthy man who like towers over everybody but then you'd get to know him and he's like this super cheery guy (laughs) who's like happy to help out anybody in town even if it's gonna like make all the fish into skeletons or or wait around all day for the shadows to let him get successfully (laughs) best best gag in the movie and and, and no one's like calling the police they're they're just like oh oh that's oh what a good dad let's let him be as the sun gradually moves over the hills well he he can't be any trouble look at him he's wearing a suit (laughs) would a troublemaker wear that nice and outfit i don't think so (laughs) he has a mustache a bowler hat and an octopus pipe he's got like some sort of like seaweed based smoking pipe yeah he's a classy dude as we all know, no, he no one no wants one... to open up a business with the Chamber of Commerce. That's all he wants. <laughs> He's trying to provide for his daughter. That that is a good dad. I'm nominating him for Dad of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm actually going to start with uh, Lou's dad, and uh, you know, like Noah was bringing up with uh, Frank Welker as Totoro, I'm actually going to be a little bit more respectful for my main roots and bring up. Pete's Dragon. Oh. Because, uh, like, whenever uh, Michael Aston Bailey spoke as Lou's father with the, like, the low grunting and the, like, not necessarily, like, a big roar, but just like a... Like, every time, every time he recited a line, I thought of Pete's Dragon. And is, like, is he saying Elliot in all of his lines? <laughs> and it just kind of helped with the... Um, just kind of made Lou's dad feel a little more gentle. And, like... And it made the end of the movie where he turned in the, into the berserker Great White Lang Shark. That's on fire. <laughs> Because I think we need to have that distinction as well. Not only is it a, a great white shark, he's a great white land shark, and he's also on fire. <laughs> yeah, he and went through he... metaphorical hell for his daughter. But at that point, he like literally does go into like loud roaring and like that was heart wrenching. Yeah, that was. I I really liked the performance, even though it was just like you know, grunting and roaring. Which, from what I understand, like, when you dub an anime, you have to dub everything. Including, like, like, you can't just keep one Japanese voice actor who's basically doing animal noises. You've got to, like, completely do every every performance that had a voice actor attached to them, you have to do from scratch. When you dub. Because he's our shark daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Kai's grandfather. I really like Steve Kramer's, like, gruff... Like, not quite angry, but just kind of tired voice. Where he's he scolds Kai for going too close to the water. He, like, he's always, like, grumpy that, like, a clam won't open or there's too much sand in it. Like, he acts like a typical grandfather. 
kind of in that sense. Like, he cares, but he's also kind of grumpy. Yeah. And one thing I really have to, like, note with Ezra Wise's performance as Kai's father, it sounds like he sort of adopted a lot of the mannerisms of uh, Kai's English voice actor, which really impressed me. He sounds like a slightly older version of Kai's dub voice. Hmm. Hmm. Which, and combine that with the, uh, with his gentle demeanor, like, it, it was a performance I really liked. So, like, kudos to the three of them. Good performances all around. Uh, so moving on, we're actually gonna move to, uh, Yuho's father and grandfather. Ah, uh, these assholes. <laughs> Who are basically the president and chairman of the fish processing company that is basically keeping this little island village afloat. Pardon the pun. We will no 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 sorry we will not be forgiving that. There, there's a there's a crucifix right over there. And we'd like you to get up on All that. Right on. But yeah, the, these two characters are kind of kind of our surrogate um, uh, corporate assholes that you, you need in a movie about. Like every time there's a movie about like a struggling village who like you know can't make the rent or like there's no business around or what have you, we always need like these money grubbing entrepreneurs who will do anything and everything to get that money to keep them afloat. No pun intended. Well, I mean, to be fair. They are both the closest thing this film has to, like, actual antagonists. Mm-hmm. In quotations. And at the same time, mm-hmm. they're they're just doing what they can to keep the island from shutting down entirely. And, mm-hmm. like, everybody going out of business. So, it, it's sort of a Lady Eboshi situation where I can kind of see where they're coming from, <laughs> even though they're wrong. Mm-hmm. In how they went about it, you know. Yeah, but unlike uh, Princess Mononoke, we're not. I don't think we're supposed to empathize with their what they're doing at all in the movie. No, no. I mean, their their goal is basically after after the mermaid's secret is exposed, they basically try to revitalize an old theme park. And when Yuho is quote unquote kidnapped, in reality, she ran away. Uh, the merfolk are blamed. They kind of stoked the fires of anger, and I mean, I mean, in fairness, her father stokes the fires. Yeah, like he's he's much more villainous in the back half of the movie than grandfather, who mostly just seems to want to run a theme park. <laughs> yeah, he he just seems like, oh, we get to reopen the theme park. Let's do it. Yeah. The point point being, like, it's kind of it's supposed to all tie together to the what do you want to be when you grow up or like should you be a self-sustaining member of society or should you do what you enjoy you know should you be a musician or a dancer and it seems to be don't be these assholes whatever you do don't be these guys hmm uh but in any case we need to get to the uh the voice actors attached uh playing you host father is joseph wins uh he from what I saw, he does a lot of uh, smaller roles in a bunch of the uh, the Netflix se- anime series. 
his most notable role is Yoichiro Amamiya in Force of Piano. And uh, Yuho's grandfather is played by Michael Sorek. Now, you would know him as uh, Ekubo, a.k.a. Dimple, in Mob Psycho 100. Uh, he played Takahashi in Ajin. And uh, Otto Mitas in Bubble Suit Gundam Unicorn. Uh, so, Noah, why don't you start us off? I just like to say, to start with, that I have seen literally zero of the shows that you mentioned, and I feel like a tool for not having seen any of them. Really, all right. I'm really get on the Netflix bandwagon eventually. I, I mean, in your defense, you are raising small children that does tend to eat up one's free time. That, that, that is that's true, but as a you know, as an associate of these fine scholarly gentlemen in this podcast with me, I, I still feel I'm not doing my due diligence. But that's that's neither here nor there. These uh, both of them, I actually have the least to say about both of them because they're um, th- they do bring. A bit of the um, uh, more wild voice acting because they're so cartoonishly evil, and, and I use the big air quotes in terms of evil here. But for Michael, for the grandfather with the cowboy hat, that's how you know he's the grandfather. He is the only of the characters who has a bit of a drawl to his speaking voice. Um, like he's not only stereotypically uh, Texan-like, but he's also has the voice to go with it. He's got an older toughness to it that is. You know, it fits with the character as it's going for, and that's about all you can say because he doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue except for the scene where they're basically contemplating what to do about their mermaid problem. And by problem, I mean exploit the hell out of it. But, you know, again, for talking about bit parts, if a bit part is directed well, then that's a, a high praise for the dub on the whole. And for this one, he did a pretty good job. Same thing with Joseph. His, uh, his... I guess his uh, main attribute is that he's a bit of a pushover when we first see him, so he's got this soft male voice that gives off a sense of not uh, being able to get out of his father's shadow, and that elevates to full-on supervillain mode near the end of the movie when he basically declares war on the mermaids, and that does not go over very well. But even in that... Yeah, even in that second half of the movie, his voice doesn't really change. Like, he doesn't get gruffer or lower. He maintains that tenor voice of a guy who does not have the confidence that his father has and is trying to compensate for that um the negative points i have to say on these characters is nothing to do with their acting it's entirely about the way they're written into the story because like i said there are 15 stories going on in this one movie and their subplot about you know wanting to save the town and exploiting the mer people and then being mad at the mer people and then eh, mer people are okay that the entire thing goes by way too fast to be satisfying so it, it it undermines the good voice acting that the two of them have it just brings it back down to just okay voice acting in my memory okay um amon uh let's see um I enjoyed I enjoy Michael Sorek as the the chairman, the grandfather. Um, he was just fun. He he had a nice kind of boisterousness to him. Uh, he definitely sold me as the kind of guy who clearly wishes he was from Texas, even though he's from a small town in coastal Japan. Uh, if actually, if I, if they were if this were a slightly looser dub, I kind of wish they would have done him as doing like kind of a bad Texas accent. Like he's like he's trying to show everyone up, and because he's in Japan, no one really catches on to how bad it is. Because like, 
Uh, all right, he's from Texas, I guess. Whatever. He's what got do, the cowboy hat. And the bolo tie. I mean, I tried to do that while we were in Texas, so... <laughs> That's what you want to do Just when you're there. throw on a very bad main accent voice to see if anybody catches on. Well, and you gotta have to look. You gotta get the bow legs going on. You gotta walk down the street like that. You gotta strut your stuff. <laughs> hey there, Bob. Drive on my guy, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh... That's, I, I think he, he was. I think I think we mentioned like he does. He doesn't have a lot of lines per se, but I, I like that aspect of it. And I I think also his performance uh, when he when kind of like partway through the movie he kind of switches from being part of the problem to at least being like yeah you know we should probably help the mer people and not like let our town just go underwater forever. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 I'm gonna help out my granddaughter and listen to what she's doing. That seems like a good idea. Um, he, has, he had like a, a, a nicer quality to his voice that I think when his character makes that shift, it, it doesn't feel too far out of left field. Uh, but I, I also really enjoyed um, Joseph as the president, partially because he like he starts out being kind of milk toast ish and very much like in the uh, shadow of his father, and as it goes on, he just turns into more and more of like a selfish, oily businessman. And like like he's like the villain, he's like a villain from an '80s comedy. It's kind of great. <laughs> My favorite, my favorite part is, I think, after at the end when him and his assistant have been thrown off the ship and they're just like hanging on to a life preserver. Uh, yeah. I think, I think, I think what I think he just tells him it's like you need to paddle us to shore. And it's just like <laughs> you're, you're you're in the middle of the ocean. Why are you making him do all the work for you, jerk? <laughs> and I think they get I think they get like swept towards shore by a wave or whatever. But it's just like there we go. <laughs> Your true colors at last terrible um yeah he, he's he just he, there's just sort of like there's like a gradual escalation of his character in there and i thought i thought um joseph played that really well as far as like starting out seeming like he's the kind of like calmer of the two and then by the end is much more like frothing at the mouth angry all the time it was a, it was a nice it was a nice uh i guess not arc but like it was a nice evolution of that performance i enjoyed it nice okay uh itchy Let's see. Yeah, for Michael, I I do wish he kind of leaned into more of the Texas drawl with the, like with his outfit and desire. I thought he'd be like the Texas oil king or something. There's <laughs> there's mermaids in those hills. We gotta scout them out. <laughs> We're gonna hog tie them and show them off to the folks. I definitely yeah, wish it, the yeah. dove went to more like bombastic ways like that. I mean, yeah, it's already there. Like, he's already a cartoonish character. You may as well play it up to the full stereotype. And then for Joseph, who plays uh, Yuho's father, uh, I definitely agree with what you guys are saying, how he he starts out as, like, a meek kind of guy in his, in his father's shadow who's trying to run this company and do things right. And then he has his daughter who, when she goes missing, basically snaps his, like, brain in half. And he he just goes on like a blood rage feud against the mermaids, trying to like almost kill Lou, like <laughs> like it, you can yeah. see like when he's trying to shine the light on her, like it's not even gonna hit her, and she's just like scared at it. But he's just so manic and so like frothing at the mouth when he's trying to do it. It's such a good performance when that happens. You Avenge tried the fallen. to kill my daughter. She's literally right here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, do it anyway! 
that's pretty much all I got to say for those two. Mm, okay. Yeah, I I like how big and bombastic Michael Sorek played Yuho's grandfather. Like he's he seems like a gentle giant like out of his out of his element, out of his time. He sees the village sort of in its glory days and as as much as people are trying to basically like keep all the businesses from going under like he just he he's just blind to what's really going on and i i really like that i actually kind of like that michael sork didn't go with the full like texas drawl pretending to be like something he's not and i i think it would i I think it would have overpowered the other performances around him if he had done that, personally. I see that. Mm. But he he plays it big, he plays it loud, he plays it cocky, and he's he's just a big, lovable doof. Same can't be said about his son, though. Mm-mm. I... I like you guys said, I really like that he was basically a pushover in the beginning of the film, and as he started seeing dollar signs in his eyes, he gets more and more sort of weaselly and greasy, and like up to the point where he's basically attempting to murder Lou, even though, you know, Yuho has come out to say that, oh, she's fine. Like, he, he's so blinded by rage, he doesn't care and just wants to kill Lou anyway. And, like, I I really like that out of his performance. And especially his comeuppance at the end, where he's basically, like... <laughs> he's stuck on one of the broken rides of the theme park. Like, oh, just yeah. going in a constant loop, and he's screaming, and it's just, like... Uh, yes. It was so satisfying. And I like the, the sort of weaselly scream he and his assistant give out at that scene. And it's basically, like... Kai's dad is basically like, should we go down and help him? And the grandfather's just like, nah, they'll they'll be they'll be fine. <laughs> the movie's almost over. They'll be fine. Like I I really like that Blue's or bleh. I really like that Yuho's grandfather like sort of figures out the error of his ways around the end of the film and like offers to help. Like that that whole ending with the village coming together was just beautiful. So solid performances oh. all around. Thumbs up. Good job, guys. Uh, so next up we have uh, Kai's bandmates and friends who uh, basically set things into motion by inviting Kai to Merfolk Island where he meets Lou, and their music basically sets this adventure on its course. And those are Kunio and Yuho. Uh, Kunio is the guitarist of the band Siren, and Yuho is its singer. Kunio is played by uh, Brendan Engman, and Yuho by Stephanie Shea. Now, Brendan Engman is kind of a unique case here in that, as, as Noah was saying just a few minutes ago, like, no part is a small part. Uh, this is Brennan Engman's first anime role. 
it is definitely not his first live action. Um, he has had roles in a couple of films and TV series. Uh, his other name part is, uh, let's see here. Oh no, this is Mary and the Witch's Flower episode all over again. Uh... He played a character named Robbie in a 2012 short called Pack the Lunch. This is basically his first feature-length named role. So that is that is really impressive. Good casting, uh, Michael and Stephanie. We will get to that in a minute, though. Uh, Stephanie Shea has played uh, Mitsuha Miyamizu in Your Name. Uh, she's played Usuki... Tsukino, a.k.a. Sailor Moon, in the Sailor Moon franchise, the new L.A. Viz Media dub. And she has played Shazarod in the Magi franchise. Uh, so, Noah, why don't you start us off? How did you feel about Siren? The, uh, Sirens are, uh, they, they're an interesting case, to be sure. I, I really wish that if I were to ever get into acting, I want my resume to just say, punk A and hipster on it because that sounds like a badass thing to be cast as <laughs> though I'm hoping to hear more from Brandon because he's actually a very um, is a very lively character or a very lively actor in this which fits with his character who is very lively um, I believe Stephanie and Michael said in an ANN interview that they were um, expanding not just their um, uh, writing and directing staff but also the people that they're bringing in to do voice acting which is good because you know we always like to hear fresh voices to really expand the range of characters that you can get in the anime and with brandon we find someone who really matches the over top over the top facial expressions that the animation gives kunio uh like he you know he's obsessed with his shampoo which is why because he's worried about losing his hair or he's very gung-ho about getting Kai to join the band, or he's like the good best friend who's trying to keep the band together when they're all in their uh, second act slump. And so I don't have any negative things to say about Brandon's performance. It's for, you know, one of the top four characters in the movie. He matches the hyper and fast-paced tenor that this needs. He's slightly goofy. It's pretty much the best exemplification of the over-the-top acting that I was looking for for a movie that has very over-the-top visuals to go with it. Now, Stephanie, who I think you all have heard before, um, you know, she, she may have done a, one or two things you may have heard of before, she's got a very peppy, up-and-down voice for Yuho uh, at the beginning of it because she's basically feels like she's overcompensating for the, like, not just the fact that her dad and grandfather are business assholes but the fact that she's wants to get out of the town and really do more beyond just what living in a fishing town can exemplify so in that sense stephanie gives her a very over the top not i don't want to say over the top voice that's because that sounds negative but a very upbeat personality um which is interesting because she actually gets very down on her uh, personality later on in the movie when things don't go the best for their band but throughout the whole thing she has a slight warble in the way that she speaks um, it's not a quiver like she doesn't sound scared but it's this very distinct timbre that's like kind of vibrating in the back of the vocal cords for flavor that makes her very distinct from any other female role that we see throughout this entire cast here um, so if I wanted to say to someone that you should listen to this dub for, like, 
really good voice acting that is both interesting to listen to, but also good at acting. I would point to both of these characters. I'm really glad we're talking about them simultaneously because they're probably my two favorite of the entire cast. Okay. Uh, Amon? Yeah, I <clears throat> I also enjoy these two a lot. Um, let's see. Oh, Stephanie, I thought she just she was just very, like, really good at being, like, really upbeat and peppy in a way that just fits Yuho so well. Uh, I, I she was just good at being like kind of a just a just a, a, a teenage girl who's just like trying to have fun and not get dragged down by her family's business, which monopolizes the town and which I, it seems like she's not terribly interested in dealing with if she doesn't have to. Uh, she yeah, she was just she was a nice performance. She she had she was good at doing you know the, the upbeat bits and when she's like you know things are kind of falling apart for her, expressing uh, that kind of sorrow and tragedy. Uh, also, this is this is a weird compliment, but I want to compliment her singing during the like concert at the theme park. Uh, that was really good, like okay singing, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it, like it's like, it's like it sounded like really good, authentically. Like they've practiced, they're trying, but they're not good, really. Like she did a good job of being like authentically off- like, like, yeah, like, amateur. Yeah, yeah, like like authentically warbly in the way that like you know like actual teenagers who don't necessarily have a lot of actual like singing experience sound like. Um, it wasn't like super over the top bad, but it was like yeah, this is what actual people who can't sing very well sound like. <laughs> and I thought, and I I don't like I I I feel like a lot of actors usually have some level of professional singing experience, so I'm not sure what uh, Stephanie Shea's like. I don't like. I'm not sure like how well she can sing in general, um, but like she she just she hit that she hit that right sweet spot very well. I thought <laughs> I, I actually I want to give kudos to that. Um, okay, I, Stephanie, I can... we want we want you to we want you to sing. Okay, no problem. Well, well, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. We want you to sing mediocrely, like like a 15 year old who's never been off the island she was born on. <laughs> exactly. And and again, Stephanie's directing, so she's saying this to herself. Exactly. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's having one of those Gary game chess moments where she's playing both sides of the of the recording studio. Uh, yeah, so like it's just she was she was really good in that, and I, I also I have one at second. Like I thought Brandon did a for, like it's probably his like first for it's the first name role in an anime though. This is like really well like really well done. He was just like, he was very good like authentically teenagery, uh, and just you know very excitable and really full of energy and very jazzed to be here. Also, I give him a shout-out for my favorite line in the movie, which is um, after they, they realize that they're at the concert and, like, some middle-aged dudes in bad wigs have come to replace them. They just, professional session players! <laughs> and it's like... Which is, which, is, which is both ridiculous and also the exact kind of line that specifically makes me laugh. Because it's like, oh no, we were replaced by the guys from Toto! Oh. We can't recover from this. They're way more talented than we are. I thought you were going to diss Toto there for a second. To- Toto are fine of the fine of the finest session musicians LA have ever seen. <laughs> I will speak nothing bad about Toto. They have talent, damn it. I, I want They're you to just go on not the pretty. I, t- <laughs> I-, I want you to go on the record right here to say that they had more than just the three songs that the radio stations play over and over again. Hydra is a great album, it's just nobody wanted a Yacht Prog album in 1978. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great album in a very, very specific genre. Anyways, 
Um, uh, he's yeah, he's he's just he's just <coughs> sorry. He's just a lot of fun. he's just a lot of fun in that role. I hope to hear him in more stuff in the future. I think he's got good chops, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I wish all the success to him. Yeah, cast him in more stuff. Okay, uh, itchy. And there's not much more I wanted to add. That's like everything I wanted to say about these two. I've definitely liked Brandon a lot in this role for his like first time being in a feature film. That's actually pretty impressive that he's playing this character throughout the whole movie who's like bolsterous and energetic and is like the core kind of the core of the group who basically brings everybody together at the end and like the part where he's trying to do the announcements is like so funny because he (laughs) they they talk throughout the whole movie about how you have to do it and you have to talk to announcements just like this and then he goes into the booth and he's just like (laughs) he just speaks it out all at once it's like the funniest things, and you hear the echo through the town of how that sounds. And I also like that the like the townsfolk are just like, "Is this guy high?" <laughs> <laughs> and then for Stephanie, uh, like she was like perfect in this role. Uh, like throughout the whole movie, I just had like no problems with her performance. She was just like on point, especially with her singing on how she basically sung everything like off key and that was like a good part at the beginning where she started doing that uh, when they were having their band practice at first and even Kai is like commenting on her on her saying it's like you're a little off (laughs) and that's also ruining your bass playing too (laughs) so I thought just just that and her her like her character throughout the whole movie was just great and like on point for how she sounded. It, it was just really good to me. Okay. Um, yeah, piggybacking off of what you guys have been saying, uh, from what I understand, it takes a lot more work than you think to kind of, if you know how to do, if you know how to do something, it actually takes a lot of work to make it seem like you don't n- quite know how to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like, having professional singing experience and then go having to go back and have somebody tell you, okay, um, now do that kind of okay, but not, like, professional? Like, I can imagine how much work it actually takes to, like, if you know how to sing, it probably takes a lot of work to sing, like, mediocre. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, you spend all that mm-hmm. effort to scrub away any of your, your faults, and then all of a sudden you're being asked to bring it back down to your pre-professional level. Like, nobody wants to do that. Like, Stephanie Shea has as Yuho's singing voice, it kind of reminds me of an episode of Michiko and Hachin with uh, Jamie Markey playing an actress acting very bad. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Oh, I remember now. Like, I... that That's immediately what came to mind. Voice actors generally, unless you've started in, like, you know, unless you started, like, YouTube or... And even then, 
I, I don't want to make generalizations, like, you generally have a BFA in drama behind you, or something like that. You've had, like, experience. You've probably done stage work. So, it, I'm, like, droning on, but yeah. Like, Stephanie Shade did a really good job kind of bringing the level down. With Yuho singing voice, and, like, she's also very happy and peppy and, like, down in the dumps when she has to be. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, while the while the town is on the verge of drowning, she gives the character a sense of determination that, you know, she did a really good job. It's basically the long way around of what I'm saying. And I also have to say I'm really impressed with Brandon Angman. Because this is one of the first feature-length screen projects he has done. I I can't speak for him if he's done like stage or what he's what he's done in his in his college age. Because I I took a look at his IMDb profile and he does have like a BFA in drama. And so he he definitely has the chops. I'm I'm really impressed with the sort of jokey persona he gave to Takunio. Uh, Again, at the end of the film, where everybody has to team together to save the town, he he steps up. He goes to the PA system. He screws up, but then he he learns. I I really like both performances. They were they were really good. Thumbs up, guys. And I hope to hear Brandon Angman in more things more often. And e even if I don't, like, I'd like to see him in stuff, too. Uh, but in any case, we have to move on to our last batch of characters. Uh, we have Kai, who has moved to this remote fishing village from Tokyo. He He's kind of morose for the first half of the film until he meets our other character, Lou who basically brings the the magic of music into his life with her special mermaid water manipulation powers and like every time she hears music people have to dance like it's it, the, like the dance sequences of this movie like you have to see to believe it's they they are so yeah they're so standoutish that those that is what is on the main uh, screen for the the home video release. You pop in the DVD and the first thing you see is random rubber hose dancing set to upbeat music. Yeah, and not to mention Lou. It, I think it was implied she's like a princess and her her father's like you know sort of like the Little Mermaid trope of the mermaid princess and the king and all that. Yeah, there there was definitely an influence of both of not just the Little Mermaid in the story making process, but also uh, Ponyo, the you know the Studio Ghibli film was kind was also kind of an influence, and that was also a you know you can't it's not good enough just for the lead character to be a mermaid. She's also got to be the daughter of some supernatural ruler of the sea in some capacity. Hmm. Uh, but in any case, uh, the character of Lou is played by Christine Marie Cabanos. And Kai is played by Michael Sinter Nicholas. Uh, you would know Christine Marie Cabanos as Madoka Kaname in Madoka Magica, uh, Hisone Amakasu in Dragon Pilot, and Erica Brown in Violet Evergarden. 
you've heard Michael Sinternicholas play characters such as Taki Tachibana in Your Name, uh, Ivan Carlin, a.k.a. Origami Cyclone and Tiger and Bunny, and he's also been <laughs> 24 actors to share the role of Peepamy in Pop Team Epic. In particular, he was, I think, the segment of episode 11. You say that like, oh yeah, I remember that. I mean, like, how can you forget Pop Team Epic? I, you're right, how could I forget? Been trying <laughs> for a year. It's still rerunning in my mind. <laughs> uh, but in any case, Amon, why don't you start us off? Where to start? Uh, I like Michael as Kai. I, he's like, uh, Michael's always, like, Michael's good at playing, like, kind of grounded, shy teenagers. He has been playing, um, Dean Venture for, what, 15 years at this point or something? So However long the Venture Brothers has been on and off the year. Um, <laughs> but he, he, like, that's, that's like a, that's a kind of, that's something he's very good at. He is good at both sounding youthful, but also selling it as someone kind of, like, shy, you know, intelligent maybe, but, like, very shy and perhaps unsure of themselves. Uh, which Guy very much is. Um, do, do, do. Um, and he, he's, he's just, he's a good, he's, I think he just provides like a good strong basis for a lot of the movies since a fair amount of it is like following him around and what he's doing. Um, I also want to give him uh, the props for his not great singing. I also don't know like how much <laughs> singing experience uh, Michael has, but at the end he, is also, he also sounds very authentically like you know, an like an impassioned young person who probably does sing, but not necessarily like a trained professional way. Um, like I, I also, I also thought that was that was really well done, but also like not to the point where like the song was unpleasant to listen to. Like it still worked. It was just clearly being done by an amateur. Um, yeah, he's he's just he's 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 good at this. Like he's he, he can do the funnier parts well, and he can do the more sort of um, that low key dramatic stuff well. Um, he's very good here. Uh, and I, I also enjoy Christine as Lou. She's just so fun. Lou is such a, such a little ball of energy. And, um, Christine, like, just embodies that really well. Um, does Lou, does Lou singing get dubbed? I can never remember. Uh, yeah, I think they had to okay. for at least the, the first segment. Right, okay. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah, like, she, she, like, she, she, she's good at that. Like, she's just, she, she, she does... She's good at providing this character with like this like sense of fun and enthusiasm, with also a little bit of kind of like a supernatural quality to it. Like it's she, she she there's something a little out of step between her and like the other human characters we're seeing. Mm -hmm. um, and she's yeah, she's just a lot of fun to listen to, and she I think she just really nailed this performance really well. Um, what else? Yeah, no, just these are these are a pair of like really good performances, and I I think they ended up like. Um, bolstering the movie uh, really well together. It was really good. I enjoyed it. Okay, uh, Noah. There's a there's a lot to unpack with um, with Kai and Lou. Um, so Michaelson or Nicholas? Um, well, I'm glad that Kappa Mikey finally got the happy ending. Like, <laughs> but no, really. Um, uh, this is a character who has um, kind of a wonky arc in that. He starts out in a very archetypal, sullen, not quite sure what I want to do with my life kind of mode. Like We've seen this a lot. Um, the, the character who it reminds me the most of is the lead character in Your Lie in April, who's you know got this life is sucked 
sucky for me and I'm not sure what I want to do with it kind of mode. And Michael pulls off that sullen tenor where um, it's monotone because that's what the character calls for, but he also plays it up for comedy in the first part of the movie. Like, he's insulting Yuho's uh, singing and he's keeping that monotone while also, you know, telling her about, like, what she's doing wrong with it. And it got a chuckle out of me, just the deadpan way that he delivered that line. But to, And then he perks right up when Lou enters the world and all of a sudden he's um, reintroduced to not just his own music but also the music of his dad and he, you know, he, like, refines that spark that really drove his passions back before he moved away from Tokyo. And in that sense, uh, Michael covers all of the ranges of the, the acting pretty well. It's just, it's very sloppily characterized throughout the whole movie because it's competing with 20 other stories going on but i can't really fault michael on that like he got what each scene called for for kai's performance and if they had tried for a more cartoonish or less conventional voice it may have the dramatic beats probably would have come off as less convincing or less likable so I, i appreciate that they gave him a more straightforward voice that just also happened to be pretty good at acting i'm also really, really sad that Lou actually doesn't really get that much development either. Um, her entire shtick is more as a curiosity to the town, but she herself does not really change throughout the entire movie. She starts out, she wants to love everyone in like a very, like, I want the whole world to get along kind of mentality, and that's who she is at the end of the movie, too. Uh, Christine's entire portrayal of her is high-pitched, didactic voice, and I think I could be wrong, but I think they're doing they're doing something in post that's giving it sort of like an, an echoey effect that's supposed to replicate someone speaking underwater. I could be wrong, but it sounded like someone did something to it in post that you know just made it sound slightly more alien than her normal speaking voice. Like I'm comparing this directly to something like Madoka Magica, where like it's that same pitch as her Madoka, but there's there's something going on in there. So go back and listen to that if um if you want to prove me wrong on that one but acting wise um she she gets the very over the top very lively childlike voice that this needed um with that level of animation like that really hyper squashy signature yuasa style you needed someone who had a lot of lively energy especially for someone with so little speaking dialogue so i give full props to christine for doing that well it's it's an under-thanked kind of role to do something that's so voice-centric without being acting-centric. Itchy? So for Michael Center Nicholas, the one thing I always have, like, a tick about him is that he always sounds the same in, like, every role he's in. Which, it's, even, even it's Teenage actually not... Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yes, even the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Aww. When he was, I believe, Leonardo, he was, he was Leonardo. in that role. Yes. Not that I can tell the difference between any of them. That's the thing. He's, his voice is so distinct that you can tell him, you can pick him out easily in a crowd. And it, that, that, that's actually a good thing, because if you listen to him in different roles that he's in, you can actually tell the differences of how he's acting in the ways that he does like in this movie where he starts out as Kai at the beginning where he's like very depressed and he's at a state where he's 
not talking to anybody who wants to interact with him or take him out of his shell. And then towards the end of the movie, he gets all the way to just this boy who's just, who's got his hair parted away. He's smiling. He's happy. He's trying to just do everything he can to make everything right with the world. And it, it just feels like such a unique, it, it feels like such a complete arc for Michael to play this. And even though it's his voice, it's his normal, like, it sounds like Dean Venture. It actually does sound different than what it what than uh, how he does for his other roles. And then for Christine, uh, her playing Lou, I I just love this role. <laughs> to be honest, it's like such it, it's such a cute and like bubbly role that's like perfect for her when she's played like other roles. Like I really like her her voice as Azusa from Kon, who's like the the cute one of the group who's like the, <laughs> the <laughs> makes all the cat noises. The cute one of the group? Aren't they all cute? Look, no, she is the best girl. <laughs> I, you will not sway me from this. So yeah, for Christine, I just I just love her voice. It's like this cute, almost alien kind of E.T. girl who, at the first onset, you see this this like weird-faced girl with like fish fish parts, and <laughs> and she's. And it's especially the scene where she, like, first meets the band, Siren, where she's on her fish legs and she's, like, hopping forward creepily at them. It's like, oh, no, this thing is not normal to get this away. And then you hear her and she's like, oh, she's just a cute little girl who's, like, doesn't know anything about the world. She's so innocent and pure. I must protect her. (laughs) And basically that got me to just love Lou throughout, like, the whole movie. And especially at like the theme park scene where they have all of the merchandise for her. I can you please just like make that in real life so I can buy them? There's, there's, I think there's an irony to the fact that we don't have any of the Lou merch from Lou over the garden wall. Oh, I did it too. Jeez. <laughs> oh, it is late. Yeah, it's um, like eleven thirty. Well, club. I, I find it amusing that we don't have any Lou merch from Lou over the wall. But because the plush pug exists and the plush the plush pugfish makes a very brief cameo in the night is long walk on girl, we in fact have more merch from the serious introspective artsy <laughs> Yuasa movie from around that time, and not the goofy comedy that you would think would have some merch at least. Yeah, this, uh, this didn't do Totoro numbers in, in the merch department. Nope. It did win the top animation prize in France, though. I, I buy that. That sounds about right. The the first Japanese film to do so, I believe, since Pom Poco. Either Pom yeah, Poco wow. or Porco Rosso. Whichever one came first. Or last. Yeah, well, at least it, it doesn't have raccoon testicles. Kind of hard to beat with that. Uh, yeah, so I'm... Like everybody else, I'm going to start with Michael Cinder Nicholas's Kai. Because I I really like that he managed to get a complete character arc from this sullen, morose kid taken out of his element to he's out of his shell, he's saving the town, making friends with both humans and merfolk. Like, it... It's one of those things that it's 
it's it's a good character evolution, and I think Michael Sinter Nicholas did a really good job, kind of capturing that sort of teenage move to a new town, and doesn't want to interact with anyone until he meets the right people kind of persona. So, while I don't have much else to say other than, you know, like Stephanie Shea, he did a really good job kind of downplaying a singing voice to a like, a regular kid level. Like, teenager kid. I Not like little, little kid, but eh. I gotta say, though, uh, Chrissy Marie Cabanos's Lou kind of stole the show. I I really like the sort of childish persona she gives to the character, even though I don't think the character is a child, but it's sort of the... She doesn't understand the human world, or very much English, so she has to speak in very broken lines... Which is probably very, very hard to do to begin with. Especially with the, you know, crossing the language gap between two languages that don't really have that much grammatical similarity. Mm. So I I would imagine sort of translating broken Japanese into broken English. I guess that's also a, uh, I guess that's also props on the script writing as well. But I, I really like the scene where Kai and Lou are sort of on the swing set in the middle of the night, and she spies oh, the, the two. She couple, spies the, the couple two. kissing, and she just she just shouts like 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 <laughs> while showing her fangs, and like all the neighborhood dogs are just going off. Like I, I think that just sort of that scene in particular, sort of personifies uh, Kai and Lou's relationship as sort of like a step above friends, but not like they're not like actually in. It's not like romantic love. It's like no, but they're it like is, soulmates. Yeah, that's actually a good word for it. Because yeah, they have you know they have the similar our mothers are gone mentality we like music both and we're both not quite sure where we're going in life yeah there i guess like kindred spirits would be a good that's yeah. another, that's another good word for it yeah which, which like, you don't get a whole lot like a lot of times in these or i'd say these any movies where you have a male and a female character that are you know the main characters and get along with each other, you expect them to be romantically involved. So it's kind of refreshing that you can, you know, to defy when Harry met Sally, have two characters who are just friend, good friends with each other. Yeah, and, you know, the dynamic between Michael Sinter Nicholas and Christine Marie Cabanos was also really good. Which, you know, despite, ha despite the fact that they were more than likely recording on probably se even separate days let alone like not in the same room probably not even in the same state I think doesn't NYAV Post have like a studio in New York and a studio in California I that, that they, was how I remembered yeah. it they are a bi-coastal operation these days yeah I don't know where each of them were when they recorded this but it you know it does help that they can have cast members on both sides of the country 
yeah, I'll, I'll have more to say about that at Final Thoughts, though. Sure. Because I think this is, like, the first New York dub I've actually been on a dub talk episode for. But anyway, uh, the dynamic between Michael Sinter Nicholas and Christine Marie Cabanos was... It, it felt like genuine chemistry between the two. Even though, as I said, it, they probably had never come across each other during recording, like, physically. You know, been in the same room. So, good performances all around. I am going to move the... <clears throat> I'm going to move this to Final Thoughts. Yeah. So why don't we start with you, Noah? Oh, right. So, we, we've been at this for quite a while now, talking a whole lot in depth about tastes and preferences and all that. Um, this is a this is a movie that... It, it's somewhere in between an art house movie with just the art style and a very conventional plot with a lot of dramatic beats that you've heard in a lot of coming-of-age stories before with some truly trippy imagery to go with it. Like, you will never see water animated quite this way again, or you will never see characterizations of mer people quite like this. Um, I, I don't know why there were mer dogs, but I, I'm certainly not complaining, you know? We gotta get those, uh, those, pu those pug-made plushies out there for the world to see. But as far as the actual voice acting, this is a dub that is just as good as the Japanese, because... There are conventions in Japanese that just work better because that's what the Japanese are used to, and you may pick up on them a little bit better if you're listening to it while reading subtitles, but if you want the same movie translated for a Western audience, this is exactly the way to do that. The acting is serious when it needs to be, goofy when it matches the animation style, all of the lines are, like, there's nothing lost in the translation process of it, and when it needs to be fun, it is very fun. Um, my problems with the plotting or the crammed plots into a single movie is not a detriment to the voice actors themselves. If anything, it's a compliment that they could still make a really good uh, English dub of this with as many scripting problems as there probably were with the actual making of the movie. So I can say, yeah, uh, one and a half thumbs up for the dub. It is just as good as the Japanese. And the only other way I could make it slightly better would just be to lean into the even more over-the-top scenes when the plot allows it. So, passing the microphone along. Okay. Uh, Amon? Yeah, no, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy this dub a lot. I, I like this movie a lot. I, I think, as we mentioned, it's not, it's not bereft of flaws. It is not perfect. Uh, but it's imperfect in ways that I often find very charming. Um, so that's not it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't really, like, knock it down in my eyes that much. And I thought this is a very appropriate dub for it. Uh, I do agree they maybe could have gone a little cartoonier. Um, but there's also a part of me that likes that the dub doesn't go too much and it doesn't go too far and it is a little bit grounded just because I feel like there is a, there's a strong emotional through line to this movie that I think works really well. And a part of me worries that might get, you know, if they, if they did, a, if they went, like, really over the top, it would definitely get watered down. And there's a part of me that feels like they... Even if they aired on the safe side a little bit, I think they did a good job of preserving that aspect of it. Because I feel like, you know, a, ver a version of this where, like, I do not feel as moved at um, Kai's grandfather finally meeting his mother again after, like, an entire lifetime of thinking she was dead uh, would be, it'd be, it'd be sad. That's a nice moment in this movie. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I think on the whole, like these are there are a lot of strong performances. I like this adaptation. I think this is a well done dove for a very like interesting, messy movie. Okay, uh, itchy. For me, when I originally watched this movie, I loved it to tears. Like the ending always gets me just right in the feels where I am just a ball, a waterfall of just water from my face. And even now, even watching it with the new with the new dub and everything, it actually still gets me to cry a lot. Because the animation itself is like so good that even if the dub that I think is a little subpar, like not as memorable as I would hope, it still gets me it gut punches me right in the right spot to get me to just love this movie all over again. And I would watch it any time, whether it's a dub or the sub for this. So, this was a movie that I ended up flying, what was it, like 2,500 miles to be able to see? Yep. But I would fly 20,000 miles, and I would fly more. Yeah, I, I flew 2,500 miles to see this movie. Like, I have Yuwasa's autograph on a ping pong poster that I I have yet to hang up because I, like, I have no oh, idea yeah. where I'm going to put it right now. You gotta frame that sucker. Yes, I know. I, I have a frame and I just need to, you know, put it up. But anyway. That wasn't the, um... Uh, that wasn't the one he was giving away at the signing table, right? That like you no, brought that. No, I had I had won that ping pong poster from a contest Funimation had set up. Oh, that's right. Because I, 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 yeah, I remember you showed us that before we'd even gotten in line, and we were like, "You you need to go first. I think we like we made you go ahead of all of us when it came to getting signatures from Yuasa. Yeah, it. I I like I really like the works of Masayaki Iwasa. It they look nothing like anything we we typically associate with Japanese animation. In fact, I I would go so far as it it is probably one of the un, at the moment one of the most unique styles I've seen. And it's like his movies are gorgeous. And and Devilman Crybaby Tatami Galaxy, Ping Pong, all gorgeous, gorgeous. But uh, um, let us I... not, let us not forget the greatest anime he has ever made, and that is of course the Food Chain episode of Adventure Time. Oh God, <laughs> Food Chain, <laughs> the greatest anime ever made. Like, Finn, have I... you noticed now that we are birds? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I went that, when I went to the was... yeah go. Ahead. Like that was one of the one of the episodes I like actually busted out laughing just at how ridiculous it got. Yeah, I, I love that episode to death. Anyway, but you know we're we're not necessarily here to talk about the animation, even though we we've, we've done that like a couple times. I mean, I guess final thoughts. Anyway, uh, the dub. Uh, this is definitely a, a a dub I could recommend a parent trying to get a trying to introduce a child to anime this is this is a dub I would recommend to give a try particularly like I, I tend to find Ghibli dubs are a little stiff for that purpose but 
Like, this... Like, it, it is a dub I would show to, like, a five to eight year old to introduce them to the world of anime. Like, no, no stop. That's interesting you would say that, because it's, like, obviously we know that this is a Japanese production, but it's not exactly what I would point to when I want to show someone something that's stereotypically anime, because there's way too much squash and stretch compared to what your average anime production looks like. You know, it looks much more like either a throwback 60s show or something that you may find on a modern uh, Cartoon Network production. Yeah. It's it's for that reason I would probably strongly recommend this for like anime in, anime introduction for like a family member like mm -hmm. like a nephew a niece a, a son or daughter or even like older parents because this the does give off a similar vibe as like you know cartoons of an older era true the uh yeah uh yuasa did say in an interview that the target audience when they were making this was teenagers but more leaning towards an adult audience but uh dub's great i would definitely recommend this to <clears throat> to a wide range of people solid work great film good job all around Speaking of great job all around, we have effectively been keeping this podcast going for longer than the duration of the movie itself. <laughs> Jeez Louise. And you didn't think we could do it. I was wrong. You doubted. Dead wrong. That's all right. So it's a nice com compendium to the movie itself. All right. So if you would, uh, if you'd like to check out Little Over the Wall, uh, it is available on Blu-ray and DVD via Shout Factory. Nope. Well, via I mean, G Kids. Well, G -Kids, I mean, Shout Factory is distributing. G Kids has it. a license, and Shout Factory is basically putting it out for them. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying that because if a, your average person is going to go to the store or anywhere to look for it, you're going to notice it by the distinct G Kids uh, packaging. Like True. G Kids has that very distinct logo on the spine with the title on the top half, and then the characters on the bottom half. It is also available to download digitally, basically, where you would purchase, basically where you would purchase films. Amazon, Google Play, I would assume Apple, but I don't have, like, iTunes or an Apple product in front of me to check. And uh, it is also available for, like, pay to rent on YouTube. So if you're if you're not willing to plunk down for a Blu-ray, there are definitely options out there for you to check out. And uh, if you would like to check out more from us, uh, why don't you point your browser down to the bottom of the screen, hit that subscribe button, ring the bell, you know, do all, <clears throat> smash that subscribe button. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we, we got we got to no. keep within like the theme of the like. We want you to go ahead and musicify that subscribe button. Every time a bell rings, the Spaceman Hardy gets his chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And we also have a uh, Twitter, a Tumblr. We're probably going to be doing something with our Twitch by the time this episode comes out, or like the week after. It, 
this episode's timed around AB, so we'll probably be, like, doing a Twitch stream or something. <laughs> uh, so, why don't you guys basically plug your wares? Noah, why don't you go first? I'm just crying because you all get to go to, an well, not all of you, but some of you get to go to Anime Boston. The rest of us are stuck over here in the Midwest. Ah, there's always A-Fest. Which I also won't be going to, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That, Babies, that's roots, why I gotta babies. bring the party to you, Noah. <laughs> no, 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 I, I brought that upon myself. No, no adult responsibilities and all that jazz. But no, I, I really do hope you guys have a good time. Speaking of having a good time, you can follow me on Twitter at NoahClue. Uh, all discussions about the world of animation from around the globe because it is such a wonderful medium that deserves to be explored and dissected for all of the corners of the world where it's produced and i also have a youtube channel which is journey traveler considering world events about to rock my world and that being the birth of a new child at the end of may i probably won't be able to do very much with that channel for a time being but it's there and as long as youtube doesn't take it down i will continue to hopefully do something else with it all tied into animation. Awesome. Amon? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AmonDuelUS. Duel is spelled with two U's, where I talk about movies and music and comic books. You might see me talk about uh, my me reading rereading through Dragon Ball after many, many years. Guess what? Dragon Ball is very funny. I don't know if you know that. There's a joke about how Krillin doesn't have a nose, and it might be my favorite <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> Dusty song, dusty oh, yeah. song, dusty oh, uh, song. So before before I get to that, uh, side note since I didn't bring it up, the music in this movie is great. Yeah, it is. It is. It is making me really wish that someone had picked up the mantle Genion had as being like the only company putting out official like anime soundtracks in this country. I would <laughs> buy one in a heartbeat. Uh, it's great. But uh, so for my song, I thought I wanted to find something that fit with both the. Uh, Sort of the, the fun sort of 40 swing time stuff that a lot of the dance scenes are set to, and also the more like kind of modern make it on your laptop by yourself thing that um, Kai likes to do. And there's a genre just like that. It's called Electro Swing. It's great. I love it a lot. And uh, to give you a taste of that, if you would be interested, I recommend the song Silent Snow by Parav Stellar, who are French, I think. I'm not actually sure. I never know who's behind any of these bands. They're all kind of semi-anonymous men with laptops. I'm sorry, Power of Stellar are Austrian, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> uh, Itchy, why don't you plug yourself? You can follow me at Itchinator, uh, where I will just basically retweet art, retweet stuff my girlfriend talks about her bougie life, <laughs> and hopefully, if City Hunter Shinjuku Eyes ever gets licensed here, I will actually do a year of City Hunter where I will be blogging about all of City Hunter, because that is how obscure and BS I am about this. Can, can nice. you even get City Hunter anywhere? Like, is it streaming? The original City Hunter streaming anywhere? No, but there are DVDs is... out in the wild. Mm. And I own them all. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> This sucker owns the original Macross, and you will have to pry them out of his cold, dead fingers. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Roots of Justice, where I mainly just retweet cute animal pics, sometimes talk about, like, 
general fandom stuff. It's it's a good time. You should come check it check it out. I um I also recently built a computer that I hope to be using for like YouTube projects coming soon. Speaking of which, this is actually the first episode that is recorded using said computer. Woohoo! Fancy. And edit and if all goes according to plan, it will also be edited on the same machine. And that will also be the first. Yeah. So there's, like... I'd smash a champagne bottle on this, but it's like... I spent a Don't lot of money do on that. It, so I'm not going to do it, no. It seems like a waste of both the computer and the champagne. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll be like that scene you get in comedies where they do that to a nice boat and it just punches a hole in the boat and it immediately sinks. <laughs> There's a Mickey Mouse short from 1934 that did that. <laughs> Alright, so you for... with that, we are officially done. Yay! Yeah. Go like, go wow, watch some more yeah. animation. But, yeah, this, uh, this was a great time. Four guys getting together, talking about a great movie. And uh, Fo with... Follow your dreams. Don't let the fish market get you down. Just Take remember... It's all in the processing. <laughs> it's always in the processing. Otaku on right. there, Dubbas. Aloha. Good night, nerds. And the night is short. Stop. Roots, whenever you talk about your old computer, it's like that joke they have on like old sitcoms where they talk about one of the characters' cars, which is just like an unfathomably nightmarish piece of technology. It's like it's like the teacher's car from Azumangadayo. <laughs> Not the Yukari mobile. You bet the Yukari mobile. Look out, Mister! Look out, old man! I'm sorry for everything I've done wrong. Not sorry enough. <laughs>
I get stitches. Ew, you bet. Do you think I should get some protection? Uh, just call us if you need anything. Hey, I'm on, you bitch! I ain't do nothing. 